your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun, your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Dr. Elizabeth Johnson. In part two, Dr. Johnson discusses diet and how to possibly lower one's risk for Alzheimer's disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell. Also, please leave comments. Be sure to watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. So, so far, I think we've established that if we eat the correct carotenoids, lutein, zeaxanthin, measles, zeaxanthin, we could decrease macular degeneration, the progression, probably cataracts. Uh, there's a decreased risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease. And so we're, and, and also normal visual function is better. We're less sensitive to the light. Uh, where where we could go from light to dark better, we can hit a ball better because our visual processing time, because it affects the brain, and that's your real area of expertise, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, but before we get there, I do want to ask you about some other types of carotenoids uh, and your opinion on them. Being a, an expert in nutrition, I want to ask you about turmeric. Uh, turmeric has been considered a, a wonder spice. Uh, I guess it's considered a xanthophyll. Uh, it is a carotenoid. And tell me about turmeric versus a curcumin. Uh, and is it something that we should be adding to our diet, turmeric, or should we eat the, the I guess the 8% of the turmeric is the active ingredient is part of one of the active ingredients is curcumin. Should we just be taking curcumin alone? Tell us about that. Well, I, that, I don't know too much about turmeric. I know that the curcumoids are curcumamoids or the active um, components. Um, and I know the supplement industry has jumped on, on this as far as making it more bioavailable because what you find in your, your spice, you don't absorb a lot of it. Um, and there are studies that have looked at this, but it's not really an area that I've looked at. But I... You know, I always say, if you can do it through food, do it through food, eat, as I said earlier, if you could just eat a lot of different foods on your plate throughout the week, and you're probably going to take get advantages from all the little components that are in these um, plant foods. Um, so that's about all I can say about that. Let me switch to olive oil. Olive oil is 
consider the carotenoid it has some lutein in it or beta carotene or not really not really no and how about blueberries carotenoid not a carotenoid no a carotenoid. they have those anthocyanins and uh, you know the folklore is what those world world two pilot pilots they would take their bilberry you know which is related to and and were able to do their job better um, and there has been some work looking at blueberries and uh, or berries and visual function um, because of these other different things that aren't carotenoids. You know, when you think of the blues and the purples and the um, other reds, um, like in raspberries, those are anthocyanins. So it's different. You brought up bilberry. Uh, you know, that was big in the eye in the old days. Every once in a while, an older patient will ask us about bilberry. But it's not really something that, as eye doctors, we talk much about. And is there much research other than the old pilot studies on bilberry? And is, is it something that should be recommended to patients? I haven't. I've looked into that, and I really haven't seen anything that would make me think. Um, but again, you know, I don't want to dismiss berries, um, blueberries, um, because, you know, it's, it's a plant food, which is going to be good for you. And they have other things that they're doing besides, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of the work has been with cognitive function for blueberries. So what do you feel is the best way to measure macular pigment? Well, the way I measure it is is the more common way um, most of the studies have been done is called um, heterochromatic flicker photometry, or for short AFP, and it's a it's a pretty simple measure that doesn't require eye dilation, so that's a good thing. It's pretty quick. Um, it you know depending on how much uh, you want to find out because there's different parts of the macula and you know you can do different eccentricities to look for that macular pigment but it it can take like 15 minutes which isn't too bad and but then you get an, a measure of a tissue without um being invasive you know you don't have to pinch or poke or anything you just have someone look at this flickering blue light and dial a dial and then um look when that flicker goes away. So I've measured that on hundreds of people and there, I can't think of one, any, one person I wasn't able to get the measure with. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of research using this um, technique um, and it's been validated as far as what you're measuring is what is in um, the, the macula. Now, what it doesn't do it doesn't separate the lutein from the zeaxanthin. You just get a macular pigment measure. And there's an OCT that's used in Europe that has an objective measure, but that instrument is very expensive. I think it's somewhere around $120,000, $150,000. Yeah. Do you think there'll be a point, or do you know if people are working on something where it could it, the price will come down to something that uh, a, a, a typical practitioner in the United States will be able to use on patients because macular pigment, as we have established, decrease, uh, tells us about risk of macular degeneration, sports, how sensitive you are to the light, because uh, it gives us a lot of information that could help patients. Have you heard about anything and you see it, the future where it'll be something that we'll be able to use in a clinic, it'll be more reasonable? 
Um, I can't tell you about pricing, um, but uh, what I can tell you is I think it's important. And I think the, the big task is to make it something quick because, you know, I talked about 15 minutes that I'm not sure if the clinicians have an extra 15 minutes to, to do something like this. Um, I, do, I have no idea how much these things cost. I know there are a few different models out there um, that are commercially available. Um, but I would I would like to see this be a routine measure because not only is it important for vision, but I believe it's important for um, cognition as well. So yeah, we have one in our office and it takes about five minutes. And you know, there's been some questions about how accurate it is as any subjective test. And I found it to be fairly good. Is it perfect? No. Is a visual field perfect? No. It's not an OCT where it's subjective, uh, it's objective, but it's it's pretty good. And I think it gives patients pretty good information. I just hope someday there'll be an objective measure that'll be better. And I'm sure some they it, it will be so let's go to your your love uh macular pigment and cognitive cognitive function so let's start with the abc study what did we learn from that and what can it tell us about the elderly and the amount of uh, and the amount of lutein in the brain uh, as it relates to maybe macular pigment what could we what do we know about that Okay, so the Health ABC study was an NIH-funded study, and I was, this was very early, I mean, in, in lutein being important in cognition, I kind of stumbled on it, and uh, by, by accident, actually, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I mean to, I'll get to the Health ABC study, but the first study I did with lutein was a visual function study. And um, it was with a lutein supplementation at a dose of um, 10 to 12 milligrams a day in older women and looking at visual function. But we also wanted to look at DHA, the docosahexaenoic acid, the omega-3 fatty acid, because it's thought to be important for visual function as well. And so when I asked the suppliers of the DHA for their supplement, they said, sure, we'll give it to you on one condition that you do cognitive function measures. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So it was a double-blinded placebo-controlled trial, and we looked at vision, and we looked at cognitive function, and when we unblinded ourselves, we found that lutein actually improved cognition. And so when you're older, you just don't want to get worse, but <laughs> to improve is a good deal. So I, and so I just scratched my head because no one's really looked at this before. And I dug into the epidemiology at that time. And the epidemiology said people who are eating green leafy vegetables have decreased risk of age-related cognitive decline. So then I'm really getting interested. And I happen to be um, a collaborator on the Health ABC study because of my expertise in carotenoids. They, were, they wanted to know about carotenoid status. So um, the lab was measuring serum carotenoids in this study, um, but it, it was doing a lot of outcomes. Um, it was looking at why do people, why do they, you know, what are predictors of healthy aging? So they were doing, you know, 
physical function measures. They were doing visual function measures, which is the arm that I was interested in. And they were doing cognitive measures and they were doing macular pigment. So um, I looked, so I asked for those data and I looked at macular pigment as it related to the cognitive measures. And lo and behold, it was cross-sectional. Um, lo and behold, higher macular pigment was um, significantly related to many measures of cognitive function, of which there are, you know, memory, long-term, long-term, short-term, executive function, um, attention, focus, and so on. And I can't remember, there might have been eight, and I think six out of eight were significant related. So then I'm really wondering about this, you know, and so then I um went to a meeting and I sat down to someone next to me who I hadn't seen in 20 years because we went to graduate student together and she asked me what 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 are my interests now and I said um carotenoids and cognitive function she goes well that's interesting because I have a study in centenarians where we're looking at why do these people get to be a hundred successfully and so they were looking at a, a lot of different outcomes one of which was cognition. And I said, I would love to analyze their blood for carotenoids. And I said, and I don't know why I asked this. It just popped in my head. I said, by the way, would you happen to have brain tissue from these people? Because I figured there are a hundred, you know, many of them are probably dying. And she said, well, that's funny that you should ask no one's ever asked that for, would you like the brains? So then I analyzed the brains for carotenoids and was able to relate that to um, cognitive function. And once again, um, more carotenoids in the brain, better cognitive function. And because we did serum or blood measures, we were able to say, yeah, we look at blood, what carotenoids are in the blood. The major one was beta carotene. But when you look at it in the brain, every single brain tissue we looked at, lutein was the most. Everyone. So the that when you have matched serum with matched brain of the same decedent, serum is an indicator of what they're eating. So this really told us that the brain is preferentially taking up lutein. And that level was related to better cognition. Now, the next question was, the health ABC study said more macular pigment, better cognition. The um, Georgia Centenarian study said more lutein in the brain, better cognition. And it kind of, I thought, wait a minute, if you're eating your spinach salad, you're absorbing it in the intestine, it's getting into the bloodstream to travel on those lipoproteins and then cross that blood-brain barrier to get to the retina, macular pigment, it must be also getting to the brain, right? So then I thought, is the macular pigment a biomarker of what's in the brain? So then what I did is I went to a brain bank, a tissue, a tissue bank. And I said, I would like matched retina and brain tissue from the same decedent. And I would like that. And they gave it to me, or I bought that. Um, I got matched tissues from the same decedents of retina and brain. 
and measured them for the carotenoids. And sure enough, there was a significant correlation. So that tells me when we're measuring macular pigment, which we've done, and you're looking at cognitive function and more is better when it comes to cognitive function, that macular pigment was really telling you about how much is in the brain. And why is that? Is eye brain? Yeah, it's somehow, you know, it's, it's, it's a trick to get past that blood brain barrier. It's a trick to get past the blood retina barrier, right? It's the same tricks, right? <laughs> so, so it was getting to the, so it, and that's what my study found is that, you know, what's getting in the macular is is correlated to what's getting into the brain and that's terrific for these intervention trials because you don't have to pick apart that brain you just do that macular pigment measure and if you see that in increasing it's likely that what's increasing is in the brain as well and so those studies have been done as well looking at you know an intervention with a food source or a supplement of lutein and and how does that change macular pigment? How does that change cognition? And how do we use that for patients that are starting to get memory problems, early Alzheimer's? How do we use that information? Well, you, you really, you want to catch them before, you know, you want to catch them before the dementia, right? It's, it's there's a point where, um, there's a target population, I should say. And um, so the earlier you start, the better. Um, so it's really, uh, you know, you know, mild cognitive impairment is going to, you know, you're still got some some options there to help. Um, but once you get to that dementia, it's, it's a little bit harder to move that. Um, well, yeah. I mean, people listening to this, they want it. They're, they're listening, and we talked a little bit about zeaxanthin. and they they're going to ask the next question is. Is there zeaxanthin in the brain? Like there, it's in the eye. It is. It is. There, it's there. But we didn't see the same thing as we saw with lutein. And in part, I think it's because of the, the amounts. In our food supply, um, the amount of lutein related to zeaxanthin is about five times higher. So we're eating mostly lutein, not as much zeaxanthin. There's very few foods that are high in zeaxanthin, one being orange pepper and the guji berry, which is a berry that they eat in Asia, um, but in corn, but there's not a lot in corn, but zeaxanthin tends to be the, the major carotenoid there. Um, so what you see in the brain likely reflects what these people were eating as well. So it was about a five to one ratio there as well. So because of the lower levels, we couldn't really um, look at correlations as easily as we could with the lutein. But oh. what was really interesting though, what was really interesting about that, we measured beta carotene in the brain as, as well. Um, it was again, not as much as lutein and we didn't see any relationship with cognition. And we measured vitamin E too. And vitamin E is a major dietary antioxidant and it loves getting into the brain because it's fat soluble. And there were, I think, oh, hundreds of times more beta, I can't give you the exact number, but there's a significantly more vitamin E in the brain than lutein. And when we looked at cognition relative to the levels of vitamin E, you didn't see the relationships you saw with lutein. So, mm -hmm. so it says some lutein something, maybe do, doing something more than acting as an antioxidant. I mean, it's 
probably has a function as an antioxidant, but it's doing it's doing something else, and we don't really quite know what. But um, the data is accumulating. You know, this all started. I think when did I start that? It was like two thousand eight. Wasn't that long ago when this all started? So it's um still early on and, and people are really investigating this. And not only are they looking at what's going on in older adults where we really do think about cognitive de decline, but there are studies now, I'm not doing them, that are in children, you know, pre-adolescence and that data is accumulating and it's looking good as well. So um, it's throughout the lifespan. Um, Barnett did a study that showed academic performance in children uh, and that uh, that macular pigment correlated with it. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Well, the um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's what's working in the adult is working in the child as well. Um, that you know, if it has to do with uh, neural communications or synapses or um, how that um, bilayer is functioning, uh, lutein gets into the bilayer um, of the neural tissue and that's where DHA gets as well. And the lutein helps it be a little bit more flexible so that it can communicate with the cells near it. And DHA is there. And what do you think about DHA? It's this big molecule with a lot of double bonds. A lot of double bonds mean it's highly oxidizable. Lutein's right there in that membrane along with DHA. So it may be helping with the, um, as an antioxidant for DHA. Um, so that would work in a young child as well as it would work in an adult. Um, and the, the thing too is, you know, you think about pre-adolescence, which a lot of these studies were done in, um, they're not eating green leafy vegetables. <laughs> so, so their intakes are pretty low. And yeah. this memory in pre-adolescence has improved with the intake of lutein. Yeah. And that was a study that was done by Kelsey, I think. I can't remember. Um, but it, but they did show that uh, that memory in pre-adolescence with yeah. carotenoids, that it did increase. Now, I want to ask you something about omega-3s. So you're talking a lot about DHA, but how about EPA? I think, because um, that was my question too, when I did my study with DHA, it was 800 milligrams of DHA. And I I did it because of, you know, I thought that was going to be important for visual function. But when I talked with an expert in the fatty acids, she um, told me that she thought that, that both of them are, are going to be important because they, they do a lot of the same things, but they, they branch off at some point that you really want a balance of the two, that to a, a supplement that came both, both would probably be a better bet. MacuHealth, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. And do you think there's a, a major difference between the triglyceride and the ethyl ester omega-3? Because that's, uh, that's a big buzz among the doctors. Should we only be recommending triglyceride omega-3s to our patients? Or ethyl ester is not quite as good, not quite as absorbed as well? Yeah, I can't answer that. I mean, I would have to dig into the literature to see what those studies found to make an assessment. 
And how about like vitamin D? Anything about vitamin D and cognition, vitamin D and macular degeneration that you'd like to share? Um, vitamin D I haven't studied, but I know that you have vitamin D receptors in the brain. And that tells me that it's it's likely important. And vitamin D, it's it's a real issue. There are a lot of people, you know, that really have low status. So it's something to be pay attention to. It's not just about bone health, which is very important, but they think that it could be important for cognitive health as well. And that, again, it's an area that I haven't studied. So the GCS results and verbal fluency, can you, and recall, can you talk a little bit about that? So the Georgia Centenarian study. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that you mentioned yeah, that's where we looked at um, these centenarians and, and looked at um, relationships between brain levels of carotenoids and these measures of cognition. So verbal fluency, just being able to, you know, name as many animals you can in a certain period of time um, and, you know, giving them a task of a, you know, word list to see how they, uh, well, they recall that. Um, so, you know, this is important as you, I mean, I'm feeling that now, you just trying to remember, you know, why did I walk in this room or why did I, where did I leave my keys? Those, you know, things. And so it's, I think as you get older, you become more aware of, you know, what you're remembering and what you're not remembering. So it's a big issue. And I pay, so I pay attention to, to what I'm eating for that reason. Um, and so, you know, this, these results that we found with the Georgia Centenarian study really confirmed that in my, in my brain, that um, these carotenoids are going to be helpful as, as I get older. Um, one, we know that it preferentially gets taken up in the brain, just like in the retina. And two, um, you know, levels are related to better visual function and better cognitive function. So it's really aligns really well as this being important for neural function to include cognition and vision. I mean, there's been six randomized control studies on macular carotenoids and cognition in adults that showed improvement in visual fluency, memory, uh, reasoning, spatial working memory, uh, anxiety, stress, and uh, and uh, and PAL errors. So, can you just go into that a little bit? I mean, this is something that that you teach and that that you that you're an expert in. If you could talk about that, for, because of the people that are listening out there, that this is new to them. That lutein, uh, that there's six, uh, that the macular carotenoids, uh, lutein and zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin can help in cognition in such an incredible way, and especially kids that have learning problems. And I mean, there may be some help for these parents out there that yeah. are struggling. Well, I think too, because, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, the kids aren't eating lutein very much. I mean, so, many of them. And two, they're in front of that computer all day. So you wonder what that's doing for their vision or, and if, you know, so um, it's, it's a real concern. And, you know, the, the solution isn't only lutein, but I think it is part of the solution um, that one, we know people aren't eating where we think it's important when you look at the epidemiology. Average intake in the US is one to two milligrams a day. And 
Seddon's work says you need like six milligrams a day. And these intervention trials look use like six to 10 milligrams a day. And many aren't getting that. And so the idea is not to treat, not to cure, it's to prevent. <laughs> it's really, you know, that's that's where the the cost savings come is how do we prevent these things um, or delay a progression? Um, that that kid that, you know, these little, these pre-adolescent kids, their eyeball is pretty vulnerable. It's a pretty clear lens that that light can get to. And so let's, you got to start early on. And and those are other studies we've done. Um, you know, the, the work that you described out of the University of Illinois that looked at the pre-adolescence and macular pigment and cognition, um, you know, that's early on. And we've looked at infants. We looked at infant brains and these brains were um, from infants that died of either accident or sudden infant death syndrome. So nothing that was gonna com compromise um, carotenoid absorption. And we looked at what was in their brain and in in the adult brains that I looked at, it was a it was it was about um, seventy percent of the total carotenoids was lutein and zeaxanthin, and in the infant brains, it, the relative amount was more. So you had more um, relatively more lutein in in the infant brain than the other carotenoids, and I think we analyzed maybe a hundred infant brains. And again, every single one had lutein in it. Lutein was the most. You couldn't say that for lycopene. Only of the hundred, only two had lycopene in it. You couldn't say that for any other carotenoid because sometimes beta carotene wasn't there. Sometimes the exanthin wasn't there. Sometimes cryptoxanthin wasn't there, but every single one had lutein. So what does that say about early neural development? Well, I just think about the egg yolk. That's early <laughs> or early neural development. And guess what? That egg yolk is yellow and it's yellow because of lutein and zeaxanthin. So it's the whole full spectrum of that lifespan that I think we should be thinking about lutein for both visual and cognitive function. And is there, did you find any mesozeaxanthin in the brain? And is it because maybe uh, zeaxanthin or mesozeaxanthin is harder to measure, but it's really there, or you feel pretty confident in the way you're measuring it that it isn't there and there's less of zeaxanthin. Yeah, I, I look for it and it's it's not it's not an easy measure to do because you need a special setup for your equipment to, to measure, to, to separate out the zeaxanthin from the mesozeaxanthin. But we did look in um, some human brains for the meso and couldn't find it. And as you say, maybe it's because it, it wasn't detectable in, on our system, but we haven't identified meso in the brain. You mentioned digital devices before and kids looking at digital devices all day. Do you think looking at a digital device, looking at computers the way we do all day, increases our risk of getting macular degeneration at some point? Well, the answer's not out on that. I mean, one, it's hard to measure. I mean, I, I've looked into that. How well can we measure that exposure? And there are some questionnaires for that, but it's it's your phone, it's your laptop, it's your tablet, it's, you know, it's, it's, 
all these different things and how to capture, you know, all of them and are, is it differential among them as far as the risk of, of having a problem. Um, but it, we, I just don't know of a study that's been able to definitively say that, you know, this is something to look at, I think, because, you know, how do you measure that? How well can we measure that um, exposure? What I can tell you that Stringham did a study with um, visual fatigue and lutein, and that was found to, to be helpful. And I think he also looked at a measure of stress as well to say, see that there is less stress. But visual fatigue is another um, thing to consider with all the computer work we're all doing. I mean, we sit in front of the computer, <laughs> at least I do, a, a big chunk of my day. And uh, I think it's it's something that, that happens is your eyes get tired. How do you think the way lutein works to help protect the brain is it decreases lipid, uh, lipid breakdown of cells that cause cell damage, uh, uh, perioxidation, uh, is that the core, or is it? Would you say there's many causes? What lutein is? Many mechanisms of how lutein is helping protect the brain. I think there's a lot of things it may be doing. Um, we did look at some gene analysis to see what genes get turned on and off, um, and these were some monkey studies that we did with brain tissue. So we measured the amount of lutein and how it related to um, turning up or down certain genes. And we found it related to inflammation, so that's good. And then we also looked at these infant brains I talked about and looked at some metabolomics, so looking at metabolites in the brain. And we found that the amount of lutein was related to a, a one type of neurotransmitter. So it may be doing a lot of different things. Um, and you know, these studies, of course, are hard. It's hard to do it. Um, um, research in brain tissue. Um, but um, people are, you know, trying to figure that out. What is it doing? Um, I think the bottom line, the clinical trials find that it helps. And, and we might not get to knowing mechanistically how is it helping, but as far as uh, the real life data where you're working with people and giving them more, it's, it's, it seems to be helping. So for the parents out there, you know, we talked a little bit about the rainbow diet. What, what do you think about smoothies and putting all different types of colored fruits and maybe sneaking a fruit vegetables in it? Do you think we have to worry about it being too much sugar or do you think there's enough fiber so we don't have to worry about the sugar, but we're getting all the different nutrients from the different fruits and, you know, berries and things and foods that have lutein or zeaxanthin, maybe some goji berries, sneaking in a little spinach or kale, organic kale into the smoothie. And, uh, but, you know, you have to make it so a couple of bananas so the kid can, will drink it. What do you think about that? Uh, if you can't get the kids to eat, you know, vegetables, which most kids won't eat, or many kids. Well, I, I think I think it's a terrific idea. I mean, because there is a guidance for getting fruits, 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 you know, along with vegetables, you know, so there is that guidance and, and the kids aren't, yeah, you're right. And so, you know, the real, the real um, key word these days is not sugar, it's added sugar, really. 
you know, you really want to stay away from those added sugars because they're going to come along with those, um, you know, ultra processed foods and they tend to be, you know, high carbohydrate, high calorie, low um, nutrient density. So to work with whole food is, is a good way to go. You mentioned ultra processed foods before, before, I guess before 1880, there was, no one ever heard of cardiovascular disease or macular degeneration, pretty much cancer. And then when we started with the processed foods is when all these diseases started to run together. And Chris Kenobi wrote a book on this. I interviewed him, it was a, a very interesting, he relates a lot of to to the the processed seed oils and and vegetable oils but have you is there anything that you've thought about you know why the incidence of macular degeneration and chronic disease has been taking off where back when people were you know back in the early 1900s late 1800s people were thinner we didn't have the obesity epidemic when you see film of of people back then you know there wasn't as much chronic disease. It's something that you thought about, and is it, what do you think? Well, we're seeing more of these age-related diseases because we're living longer, and more of us are living longer. So it's a big public health, you know, issue to, to think about age-related diseases. So, you know, part of what I do is how do we age with health in optimal health as best as we can. And that's where nutrition plays a role. And when you think about the major age-related diseases, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, there's a huge nutrition component to that. And the, the beauty of this is the diet that you would recommend for heart disease, brain health, um, diabetes, it's the same diet. It's like your fruits and vegetables, your whole grains, not too much, get enough, um, moderate drink. It's just moderation, diversity, food, you know, so, so that's, you know, if I'm doing something for my brain, I'm probably helping my heart out as well. So I like that. And exercise is, is really should be a part of that recipe as well. Tell us about the avocado study. What did we find from that? Oh, that I really like. Um, because remember I was talking about the egg and how the egg did so well because it, you know, you get more lutein out into your body from an egg than you do for the same amount of lutein in spinach and because of these phospholipids, right? So, and when most people were thinking about carotenoids, they were thinking of fruit, fruits and vegetables and not so much eggs, but now we think about eggs and we didn't really think about avocado because the amount of lutein in an avocado compared to spinach, for example, is really not a lot. You know, I said two ounces of cooked spinach, 10 milligrams of lutein. And in one avocado, 0.5 milligrams, so like 20 times less, right? But I wanted to do this study anyway, in part because of the, the egg study that I found. And in part because even though there's a little there, the vehicle, the food vehicle it's in would really allow lutein to just slide right into the body because it's got, it's, it's got these mono, um, mono, um, these fats, these, um, these fats that are, um, that are good for you. And so, um, so it's a nice fat vehicle that contains lutein. And so we had our subjects 
eat one avocado a day for six months. And then we did the macular pigment measures and we did cognitive function as well. And so, and then we had a control group that didn't contain any lutein, but match for your macronutrients, your protein, fat, and carbohydrate. And um, what we found is that this little bit of lutein in the macular, um, in the avocado significantly raised macular pigment. And that increase in macular pigment was related to um, measures of cognitive function. So, um, it wasn't, you know, previously considered. And subsequent to that, that group in Illinois have worked with avocados and looking at some of the health benefits from the avocado. I mean, I, I mean, that's fascinating that eating an avocado a day could raise the macular pigment. And, you know, people listening to this patients out there, you know, you probably want to ask your eye doctor if they measure macular pigment because of all the amazing things that we could learn. So macular pigment is a biomarker, not only for cognition and macular degeneration, but uh, diabetes uh, and visual poor visual performance. So can you talk a little bit more about that as uh, as macular pigment as a biomarker and what how you see it in the future going forward? Well, you know, I see it at, we talked about it being a biomarker of what's in the brain, but I also see it as a biomarker of overall health. And digital eye strain, I forgot to mention also. Yeah, yeah, but when you think about it, everything that's related to more macular pigment is good. Is is um, body, you know, a, a, a normal body fat amount. Um, you don't drink a lot, you don't smoke, um, you eat your fruits and vegetables. Um, so these are all good things, and they are all related to higher macular pigment. So it kind of like is an indicator of you're doing something right. Um, so I like to think of it that way. Um, and as, as we talked earlier, it would be nice to see this clinically um, used because it's kind of like an indicator of how where you're doing. You know, you get the measure. You do what you're asked to do. You come back, you know, two months later and you see it go up. It's like a, this feedback to, oh, you know, like you get an A, I'm, I'm going to do more of this. So I like I like that you get, because it takes maybe one or two months to see it increase after um, any kind of food intervention or supplement. Um, and one thing about it, once it does increase, it it kind of sticks around that if you, it stays there for a while. So it, it it's not like, you know, vitamin C, you eat it one day and don't eat it the next day, you know, it, it you urinate it out. So it's, it's fat soluble. So it sticks around in the macula in the, for a while. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's really a fascinating test and people could learn a lot from it. The doctors, uh, the doctors such as myself, we could learn a lot from it. Now, you know, I interviewed Paul Bernstein and, uh, a while ago and he talked about what he thought was the ideal diet. Now, I'm not going to necessarily ask you what you eat because just because we know what's best, we don't always do what's best because, you know, we're busy. But if you could do what was best every day what would you have for breakfast what would you have for lunch what would you have for dinner and what would be you feel the best ideal diet for not only for eye health for cognition for decreasing diabetes but also for overall health 
Well, there's no one diet, right? And the more diverse, the more different kinds of plant foods you get, the better. Um, my breakfast I love is oatmeal with walnuts and blueberries and um, flax seeds. I love that, flax seeds and a cup of coffee and um, a, a glass of tomato juice. And then lunch, it just depends what the leftovers were. So it could have been like a, a spinach quiche or, you know, I try and eat three servings of fish a week. Um, I do like my red wine at dinner, that's for sure. Um, so it's a lot of that Mediterranean diet, I guess I'm hearing. Um, and then, you know, I really try and get about 20 different plant foods a week. Um, I do like my cheese though. I'm a girl from Wisconsin. <laughs> and, and so I do like that. Um, yeah, so I, I don't eat a lot of beef, but I do get my protein foods from my fish and my cheeses. Um, and, you know, I oh, one of my favorite meals <laughs> is, is when I'm in a hurry. You know, I grow, I have a garden, so I grow um, Swiss chard and it's like cooked Swiss chard with like an easy over egg on top with cheddar cheese, shredded cheddar cheese, and then hot sauce. It's so good. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's great. Now, are you eating pastured raised eggs? No, I'm not. No, but I do. I think I get organic and it's I mean, the nice thing about eggs. I can buy a dozen and they they're pretty stable, you know, I, I can, it take me like a month to get through a dozen eggs. Um, so that's what I do. I do grow a lot of my own vegetables, um, make my tomato juice with that and my green leafies and beans and all that. So um, I do that. Uh, but I, and I, but the thing is, here's the thing. There's no one great food and no one bad food. I mean, I do like a piece of dark chocolate, you know, that's not so bad. It's just, it's a, it's moderation. It's not getting too stressful about it. It's just enjoying it and um, eating, you know, good things. It, it's, it's stuff we all know, right? We all know this stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just, you just gotta, you know, believe that it's going to be helpful and um you know when you know when you're younger you don't always think about getting old but um that's that's not too early to think about um how to eat you know for optimal health i mean there were studies on the mediterranean diet to decrease macular degeneration decrease uh decrease uh cognitive problems dementia uh, oranges to decrease macular degeneration. We talked about eggs. There have been studies on that. So I think you bring up a, tr a tremendous point. And I want to thank Dr. Johnson, Elizabeth Johnson from Tufts for joining me today. She's a wealth of information and she it was very nice of her to come and share all this research, over a hundred published papers, her, some of her research with us and some of other people's research. She's a world expert in carotenoids, Dr. Jones, if people want to find out more about you, how could they do that? Oh, uh, my email's really simple. It's elizabeth.johnson at tufts. That's T-U-F-T-S dot edu. And I and I and I'm very good about answering um emails because I, I feel like it's a responsibility. So I'm happy to 
receive them with any questions that you may have. I want to thank you for what you've given to society and how you've helped me as a doctor give better care to my patients. And hopefully we'll be able to shrink that 17 years a little <laughs> bit smaller. So all the great work you'll do, you're doing, you won't be scratching your head and say, why aren't those damn doctors recommending what we just studied and spent all this money on? So again, thank you for joining me on the Open Your Eyes podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today.